Tandem Nomads, second season, episode 61. One of the things I love about freelancing is that it's given me my own sort of community and identity beyond my husband. I do have kind of an online world. Hello, Nomad Nation. Welcome to Tandem Nomads, the podcast show where you can find great inspiration and tips to build a portable career and thrive in your global nomadic life. I am your host, Anel Deregui. Welcome to the second season of Tandem Nomads. After an amazing first year sharing inspiring stories and insights from expats around the world, I'm very excited to start this new season with you. I will continue to bring you important information and awareness in different aspects of life abroad as an expat spouse and as an expat family. But I will also be more and more focused on bringing you specific tips and advice to start and grow your own portable business. Because as I mentioned in the previous episode, I believe that one of the best solutions for expat partners to build their portable career is to build a portable business. So we will start this first episode of the second season with one of the most simple way to start your portable business, which is freelancing. To discuss this topic and give you some guidance and insights on how to start a freelance activity, I invited an expert in the field, which is Emily McGee. Emily, are you ready for the ride? I'm ready. Wonderful. Emily started her career as a teacher. She met her husband when they were both in Peace Corps volunteering in the South Pacific. She quit this first teaching job um, she had to follow her husband in various states of the U.S. and then to Nairobi in Kenya. By the time Emily arrived in Nairobi, she realized that she wouldn't be able to continuously look for a new job and then quit every time they moved to a new place. So she needed a job that was portable and flexible. So she started doing freelance writing and was successful at it. As she gained experience and knowledge about freelancing, she niched down to just writing standardized educational test questions. Since her successful experience in Nairobi, she then went back to the U.S. where she took her freelancing business with her. And today, Emily lives in Maputo, Mozambique. She continues to freelance there, but also she's now helping other freelancers who want to build, as she calls, an adaptable career. She provides them with the guidance and knowledge that they need to grow their business while keeping a same quality of life. So Emily, I tried to summarize your exciting life. Is there anything I missed? And tell us where you are at today. That was a great introduction. Uh, it's really nice starting my own business because I can fit it around the freelance work. So there are weeks when I have less work and it's a little slower and then I've got more time to devote to my website and vice versa. I also am not working full time right now and uh, that's intentional. Um, life overseas for our family is just really chaotic and my husband works a lot. So I love freelancing because I do have that flexibility to just work part time so that I can take care of my daughter and take care of myself. Yeah, this is definitely a great advantage. I think a lot of expat partners would benefit from because you know a lot of us have families and kids and a hectic life and still want to work. And I guess this is one of the great things about freelancing, being able to choose the load of work we can handle. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So let's try maybe to... Let's start with a simple question. How would you define freelancing? 
Okay. So um, I'd say the definition I go by is when you freelance, it means that you work um, as a contractor on a contract basis for multiple companies. So you're sort of your own own boss and um, you might work with multiple companies at the same time. There are uh, tons of different kind of work within freelance. So uh, I know people who are freelance bookkeepers and accountants and computer programmers and graphic designers. I obviously do writing. Um, I was talking to you earlier about how I've also done voiceover recordings. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just there's so many different things people can do. Um, a lot of, not a lot, but I do know some other expat spouses who do freelance uh, financial planning and coaching and work as virtual assistants for people that own their own businesses. Yeah. That's it. The diversity is huge, what we can do as a freelance. And this is why we think, I think both of us, that it's one of the great opportunities for, for us expert partners. Um, but how do you figure out, do you have any, I guess we need first to figure out actually what's the skill we can sell, right? Yep. And how, yep. how did you do that? So I think for most people, myself included, it's a process of trial and error. Um, You start by thinking about what you can do that you can do online so you can do remotely. So for me, that um, automatically narrowed it down to writing and especially writing with education. And then I always recommend people do research. There are a few websites. Uh, One of them is upwork.com that I recommend people look at. That gives you a sense for what kind of work clients are looking for and how much competition there is. Um, So you're going to make more money if you've got more specialized skills, like you have some advanced training or advanced experience, which will eliminate a lot of people from that type of work. Um, Or if you are working in an industry where you're able to help the clients really directly make money. Mm -hmm. So for example, in writing, copywriters tend to get paid quite well because they are writing the sales copy, right? Like they're writing those sales emails that are helping brands get people to spend money or they're writing the advertisements for various companies. So when you're directly helping a client in that way, you're going to be able to make more money. Um, And that being said, it is still just trial and error. Like you've got to find out what you're good at and what you enjoy doing and what pays well. And it does take time just to find that, that perfect place for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I like the fact that you were talking about trial and error. I think we do need to have that patience at the beginning of figuring it out. What's the sweet spot, not only in terms of what kind of skills, but where to sell those skills. And you mentioned Upwork.com, which is a famous website where freelancers offer their their services and where those who need them can find them. Uh, we'll talk more about the tools, but to go back to um, you know, the importance of finding that sweet spot the price is also there. So how did you figure out what was your pricing, knowing that there's so many different levels of pricing? That, again, I'd say is trial and error. And for me, Upwork was, again, the perfect place to start with that. Uh, Back when I started freelancing four years ago, you could see the sort of highest and lowest bids on a job and the median so the average, uh, so that would give you a sense of how much people were charging for different kind of work. So I would often price myself in the top 25%. I think I'd, I, you know, I thought I would be able to deliver that kind of quality and skill. And then I also didn't want to price myself out or make sort of, you know, 
$5 an hour. Um, now you'd have to pay for a more advanced um, membership with Upwork to get that information. So they do make it trickier. There are certain calculators people have created where you can figure out what your ideal amount to make is based on your previous salary and the fact that you have to pay for your own benefits now. But I don't really recommend that. I think it's just important to think about um, what value you bring to your client. Mm-hmm. So, And then also to be continually raising your prices. So for new freelancers, I think it's okay to sometimes work for free. If you are going to get exposure and you're going to make some connections and people are going to write you a great testimonial, um, then write a blog post for someone for free, right? Build a portfolio for yourself. But over time, you've got to keep raising your rates and raising your rates. And the more clients you get, um, sort of the faster you can raise your rates, right? So when you've got a full load of clients, you can say, okay, clearly I've found my right place in the market. So let me try raising my rates a little bit and we'll see who can afford it and who can't. And then you can bring on new clients who can afford you. So again, that is one of the nice sort of adaptable things about freelancing is that you have some control and your experience is worth a lot. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And to go back to your skills, I actually would like to know, how did you come up with this idea initially to start freelancing? You know, you were a teacher and it has nothing to do. I mean, you found now your niche, like you said, in education, but you were a teacher and you suddenly started writing. And how did you make that leap? Yeah, I, it never would have crossed my mind, except that my husband, we kept, he kept making us move. (laughs) So, um, when we were going to move again, uh, to Nairobi, I talked to a friend who I had gone to teaching school with because she also had moved recently and wasn't teaching and she had started freelancing. So I just asked her, like, how did you get into this? How do you start doing this? Is it actually valuable? Like, will you actually get paid good money? I had a lot of sort of concerns and I I had a lot of stereotypes running through my mind and she was able to really guide me through in the beginning and show me resources to learn more about freelancing and marketplaces where I could look for freelancing work. Um, And it's funny because over time she and I have helped each other get new freelancing jobs, you know, like we still stay in touch. And so when something comes up with the client and they need more help, we'll point each other in the right direction. So that's, um, I I guess I didn't come up with it. I, Hmm. I followed a friend. Okay. So where did you start then? How did you start it? When you were, you had nothing and suddenly you became a freelancer. What was the first step you took? Uh, So the first thing I did was build a profile on Elance, which is now Upwork Mm -hmm. and sent out proposals for jobs that I thought looked interesting and that I would be a good fit for. And this is one of the hard parts about freelancing. If you've always worked in a more traditional career is that you have to be pitching your services constantly. So I'd send out, Oh, I don't know, seven to 10 pitches a week, you know, every day I'm trying to hustle for more work. Um, and then it probably took me several weeks to land my first job. But once I got that, I got the review, you know, my first review on Elance and, um, things started moving more quickly after that. Uh, people saw that I was legitimate and that I did good work. And so, uh, I started getting hired more often. Clients also started 
uh, finding me through Elance. They can do searches and invite you to apply to their jobs. And so clients would say, you look like you'd be a great fit. Would you consider putting in a bid for this work? We'd love to have you on our team. Uh, so then, you know, probably four or five months in, I, I barely had to pitch or write those proposals anymore because I had enough steady work. I had uh, clients that I was working with on a monthly basis and clients, you know, potential clients who were seeking me out. So that that sort of made it easier. But the very beginning, the first few months, it's definitely challenging and it's kind of a slog and it's hard to know if you're doing anything wrong or if it's just something that takes time. And so that's a big reason why I wanted to start my blog because freelancing is such a different world than the more traditional career path offers. And I was lucky enough to have uh, support from that one friend that I've mentioned. And I think a lot of other freelancers don't have that and they need it. And sometimes that's all you need to help you really be successful. Yeah, that's a very good point. So, so you, because you know so much about Upwork, maybe we might want to explain a bit how it works. First of all, once you log in, you create a profile, what happens then? Um, so I haven't used Upwork in a while, but <laughs> last time I checked, um, yes, what you said, you create a profile and you log in, it's all free, and then you can immediately start looking at any of the jobs. They have... oh dozens, maybe even hundreds of categories of jobs. So you'd want to start with whatever your skill set is, maybe what your job background is, not in freelancing. Uh, So for me, that would be with writing, I'd go to writing. Even within writing, they've got dozens of categories. So I know I would search through academic writing. If there's something you're interested in, uh, you can use the search function. So maybe you want to be a lifestyle blogger. So you could write lifestyle blog and see what kind of jobs pop up. Um, And you just check those jobs very frequently, even multiple times a day, because people, clients are posting constantly. And when you see something that interests you, you write, um, last time I was on Upwork, it was called a proposal. I don't know if that's still what it's called. Mm -hmm. But basically, you are selling yourself to the client, you are telling them how you can help them how you can do this work and why you're the best person for it. So you write that proposal and submit it. Sometimes you submit how much you would charge for the project. That might have changed on Upwork, but when I was doing it, you'd have to kind of estimate what, what you would charge and put that in. And then uh, if the client thinks that you look like you'd be a good fit, they will invite you to talk more interviews. So you might interview on Skype or email back and forth a little bit and work out some of the details of the project and the timeline. And then they decide if you're hired or not. Yeah, wonderful. And is there any tips you would have of getting those clients when you write your proposal, the pitch? Um, I think the best piece of advice I could give is that it's your job to solve a problem for the client. So even if it doesn't seem that way, you need to think of it that way. So for example, I write these standardized test questions. Um, And so in my mind, the problem I'm solving is that these clients want to make sure that the questions are really tightly aligned to the standard that they're assessing, because that's going to make the test more precise and rigorous. They want to make sure that there's Uh, no bias, like no cultural bias in the question. Um, They want to make sure that it's educationally sound. And so when I write a pitch or proposal for these companies, I make sure to highlight all of those things. So I might send an example of a question I've written and point out like, look, here's 
how you can tell that this is really closely aligned to a certain standard. And here's how you can tell that this has no cultural bias because I know that for the client, that's what's important. So just think of it as being less about you and how great you are and more about what you can do for the client. Very good point. Yeah, exactly. I think what you just said here is that we should not so much talk about us, but more about the need of the client and sometimes showing that we know that need, even if that need was not expressly expressed. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you did show that, that you had that knowledge with giving them an example of the problem you solved. And I loved when you said we have to be in the mindset that we're solving a problem for them. Yeah. Having that mindset really, I think has helped me. I'm finding I've been a lot more successful in landing clients since I made that shift in my mindset. That's wonderful. Is there other tools you would recommend than Upwork? It depends on what kind of work you want to do. So for blogging, I know there's um, a few other platforms for you. I think oh. one might be Contently. But honestly, no, for any freelancer, I would really recommend social media as a great resources. There are Facebook groups where you can get support. And once you've kind of networked with people, they'll often say, hey, I've got a client who's looking for this kind of work. Who can do that? So it's a great way to find new clients. Um, Pinterest, I think also there are lots of freelancers on Pinterest who offer a lot of great tips and inspiration. And it's people who are maybe just a few steps ahead of you that can kind of guide you through whatever you're struggling with. Mm -hmm. So I think those are universal tools. And then again, um, the sort of platforms are other than Upwork. I think most of them are quite niched to the type of work you're doing if you're doing computer programming or you want to do blogging or you want to do you know whatever Definitely. type of freelance but I like the fact that you mentioned you know looking at social media because that's a space where not only it's useful to find potential clients but also understand our competition know who are there and also it's a great platform to actually you know promote ourselves with content to show our expertise with content like you're doing with your blog right Yeah, absolutely. Most of the freelancers I know write for the web. So they'll write blog posts or articles, uh, or they'll write like the emails for various companies. And so for them in particular, social media is awesome because it's so easy to have a portfolio, right? Very handy, right? Like you can have a Pinterest board that's your portfolio of blog posts about parenting that you've written. Um, and then Same on Facebook, you can have places where you promote your own work, you know, a certain day of the week, maybe a group has where you get to share something you've worked on and people can see like, wow, this person would be a great virtual assistant because look at these results they're having with their Twitter marketing. Yeah. So yeah, in my niche with education writing, it's not as useful, but you know, it still is useful to network with people. Yeah. And How did you make that transition there? Because what I found interesting um, with your story and how you grew is that you did start with a platform that was there to make it easier, although you did have to work hard at the beginning to get your first clients and be patient. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, but once you succeeded at it and had enough clients, you started transitioning and moving out of a platform and having your own direct clients. So could you take us through that path? How did you get to that point? Yeah, so... I obviously started with all my clients being on Upwork and then um, for a few of them I'd finish a project and then I'd 
find new clients on Upwork. And a few months later, my previous clients might email me and say, hey, I've got a new project. Are you interested? And because we sort of knew each other um, and it was months later, we would work not through Upwork. It would just be me working directly with the client. And then as I got more confident and found my niche more, I started reaching out more directly. So for all of the work that I currently do with the assessment writing, I Googled assessment item writing and found the biggest companies that do that kind of work. And I checked out their websites and I looked to see what they like, how they hire their writers. And then I either emailed them directly or I applied through like if they had a freelance like job application portal, you know, a lot of websites have like a job portal. So, um, I guess in that case, I basically just took the initiative and put myself out there and it worked out well. So I think for a lot of people, that's a great option. Once you have some confidence and a small portfolio of work. Yeah, I like the fact that you brought up the confident aspect. And I think the confidence comes with the fact that you had the time to warm up, try it out and see that you were good at it. And then you could just fly by yourself. Yeah, confidence, it is hard because as I've mentioned already, freelancing is so different. Um, you get rejected all the time, myself included. Like, And you can't take it personally when you're sending out, you know, 10 pitches a day or, I mean, 10 pitches a week. Um, you know, you, you're not going to land all those jobs. And it doesn't mean that you're not a good person. And it doesn't mean that you aren't skilled. It just means that you're not the right person for that job right now. But it's hard to sort of change, I think, your mindset if you've worked in a more traditional setting where that's not typical. Uh, and I think also you get, I find I get a lot more feedback as a freelancer. Uh, people are always double checking my work. I'm always doing revisions. And so if you're not used to that, it can also undermine your confidence. Mm. You just have to kind of sort of change your perspective that you are learning and growing and you're delivering the best product possible for your client. And it's not a reflection on you as a person. Yeah. It's just someone helping you with your work or exactly. like make your perfect. Yeah. I like that. You say that it's someone helping you with your work. Actually criticism should also be constructive and we should be in that mindset where we take it as a constructive thing. And I guess as a freelance, we're much more exposed to criticism because people pay us on the result. Right, exactly. It's Yeah, because if we're in a team or a job, we always have time and sometimes people wouldn't, you know, would take time before telling us and giving us a feedback. And I think we should be sometimes be grateful that the feedback is straight away there and, and we just have to learn how to deal with it and not be sensitive with it. Yeah, and I think there are some ways where it's easier freelancing, like because I don't work in an office, I'm not... I'm not friends. I don't go out socially with the people I work with. Um, we get along great and they're all lovely people, but it's purely a business relationship, which makes it really easy, I, th I think, to get and give feedback. Yeah, definitely. And what about the fact that you, I liked also the fact that you slowly started choosing your niche. And I think that's a huge factor of success for any business, be it freelance or not, is to have at one point, a clear niche of what we're doing, what we're offering, to whom we're offering it. So any guidance in that way? And how did you get to pick your niche and decide that that was the thing that was going to work out for you? So, again, trial and error. And I think also it's 
partly me choosing, but it's also partly just what has happened. So I have sort of not fallen into it, but it's not a hundred percent intentional because I don't know until I'm in the middle of a niche that it's going to be the best choice for me. Mm -hmm. So when I started writing the assessment questions, I was also doing some other work. I was developing curriculum and I was writing lesson plans. Uh, but I found that the work was steadier and the work paid better for the assessment items. And so I slowly dropped the work you know, when I'd finish a project, I wouldn't take on anything else and I wouldn't apply for anything else uh, that wasn't the assessment items. And so it's kind of a slow and steady process, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then if, um, like, things are always changing. So if the assessment item writing ends up, uh, you know, maybe there's less work for me available or it starts to not pay as well, then I will, again, sort of be moving into something new and I don't know what that is yet. Yeah, definitely. And when you, you, you transitioned from being on a platform to starting contacting, you know, companies and potential clients directly, uh, you explained very well previously how you do it by making sure that you show that you know their needs and then how you can fulfill them and solve their problems. But I think one of the great things and the success of a freelance is to be able to keep their clients and make them return clients, right? Absolutely. So how do you do that? How do you make sure that your clients come back to you? Uh, honestly, that hasn't been a big problem for me. And I think a lot of freelancers, if you're doing great work, people are so relieved. It's so hard to find someone that can do just what you want. Uh, so people would love to have you keep working for them if you're doing great work and if they have continuous projects. So there are always going to be clients out there that just have a one-off thing they need done. They just need one website built. They're not going to make um, one new website every month. So uh, I think a lot of times you know going in that it'll probably be just that that one job. Um, but I've just found that most, most companies are so happy if you're willing to keep working for them. Um, and they'll often kind of help you develop because they'll find new projects. So they want to keep you on board, but they don't have the exact thing that you've been doing. And so they say, Hey, would you be willing to try this? And I always tell people like, say yes, if they're going to take a chance on you, take a chance on yourself. You can learn on the job. You're going to be fine. Um, just do it. That's fun. Really good. Yeah. Very important. So how about now the fact that you're working alone? Is there, is this, was this a problem at some point for you to not be among a team and with people on regular time when you work? No, I don't find it a problem. Well, I actually love it, and I don't ever want to go back to working <laughs> office setting. Um, I am definitely introverted, and so that, I'm sure, makes a big difference. I find working by myself from home really gives me the energy to be very social the rest of the time, so I'm very engaged with my family when they're home and I spend a lot of time with friends and I'm ready to go do anything on the weekends because I've had kind of the quiet time to myself all week. And I've also found that um, one of the things I love about freelancing is that it's given me my own sort of community and identity beyond my husband. Mm -hmm. So I have this 
I do have kind of an online world, even though I'm working by myself, I have people that I talk to frequently, might be other freelancers I've worked on projects with before, it might be the team that I'm working with remotely on a new project. Um, Sometimes it's people through my blog that will catch up on social media. And a lot of them don't know that I live in Mozambique, they don't know who my husband is or what he does. And, you know, here in Mozambique in person, it's kind of the first thing people ask, like, what brought you here? Who are you here with? You know, how did you end up here? So yeah, I guess I, I kind of like the, the working by myself in my office. (laughs) Yeah. I like that you brought up the Mozambique. I really wanted to ask you about your experience there actually. And, uh, and when you, when people do ask you what brought you here, actually, what do you say? Um, I say my husband's job. Yeah. Do you try to bring in your professional identity in it or are you just fine by sticking to the fact that you just came there because your husband was posted there? Uh, It depends, I'd say. You know how like sometimes you're just talking to an acquaintance and passing and people are just making small talk and then I'll often just leave it as, oh, you know, my husband's work brought us here. Um, But if it's anyone that I'm getting to know better or if the conversation continues at all, then uh, I will, I'm sure, you know, at some point mention what I do. I also, because I've been doing this so long, I make it a point of not asking other people what they do. I'll Mm -hmm. ask them what they like to do for fun. I'll ask them if they can recommend any restaurants because I love going out to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll ask them about what they're doing on the weekend because, like I said, I'm always up to do something fun. So um, I, I try not to talk too much about work. And then I find that if I initiate a non-work conversation, people won't usually ask about me or my husband's work. Um, but so common it, interests, right? Yeah. It's more right. about finding common interests than really talk about work. And other parts of your identity. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer that work shouldn't be your whole identity. So I yeah. want to make sure. Definitely. I would like to expand on that, you know, the identity factor, because you did mention just a few minutes before how it was great for you to actually have this other part of your identity expressed through your job and your freelance and you weren't just a wife anymore because you had this job. But at the same time, your job should not be your whole identity. But before you started freelancing, did you have any issues with, you know, feeling like you belong or having this strong identity and stable identity you were looking for? Yeah, I definitely struggled. Um, I think first because I was in a really traditional career path, like as a teacher, everyone knows what a teacher is, what they do. They can picture a teacher. Um, But when you say that you freelance, uh, I think there are definitely some negative stereotypes. I think people sometimes, and this could just be my interpretation, but I thought that sometimes people thought, I didn't actually do anything. I was just kind of saying that I did something because freelance <laughs> encompass whatever you want. Um, so that was hard. It was also hard for me because freelancing is so non-traditional. Like if I had stayed with teaching, there's a very um, kind of regimented career path, right? Like you get, you know, regular raises and you get more responsibilities. You might become a department head or a teaching coach for other teachers in the school. And then you might move into administration. So the trajectory is like pretty clear and obvious. And with freelancing, that that doesn't exist at all. It's just me doing like having total control, which is, you know, can be difficult, but also wonderful. So that was hard too to adjust to of like, I'm not 
I'm not ever going to have any title that I don't just give to myself and I'm never going to get, um, you know, some end of the year bonus unless I give it to myself. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Nobody's going to hand it for you for free. <laughs> no. <laughs> But that's an interesting point. You know, the fact that you say this titles is like in a lot of traditional jobs, the, the, the symbol or the signs of success are these gradual, you know, growth in terms of positions and titles, which we don't have when we work for ourselves. So what are for you, your signals or your symbols that you're doing good and evolving? Did you think about that? Yes, I have thought about that a lot lately. Um, I transitioned from working full time to working part time because for me, Right now in my life, being successful means being really satisfied with life. Um, and so I was working full time and like our whole family, it was just so hard on everyone. Like my husband, me, my daughter, um, we were just stressed and none of us were happy. And so for me to make an intentional decision to work part time, um, to change up, you know, some of the work stuff that to me is success, like putting myself and my family before my, you know, job or what other people think. Which is actually the whole premise of what you're doing now with my adaptable career. You want to help people find that balance that's for you apparently a sign of success, right? Yeah. And it can be really hard. Again, when you're running your own business, there's a lot of pressure to work constantly. And when you're working from home, it's even easier to work mm -hmm. constantly. So, Um, yeah, my big goal with the website is to help people when you have this flexible situation, how can you take advantage of it and make sure that you're still taking care of yourself? So tell us, how do you help other freelancers do that? So right now, I would say that all the help I provide is just free information on my website. I write a blog post each week about challenges that freelancers face. Um, because I've interviewed um, about a dozen, maybe 15 freelancers about their biggest challenges. And I uh, kind of snoop on various forums and see what people are talking about. And so I write about a challenge and then I give suggestions about how to overcome it. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that's been really popular lately is I created a free five-day digital minimalism challenge. So it's based on minimalist principles like with physical objects, but for your digital life. So people will go through a process to simplify and organize their social media and their email and their computer files because, you know, most freelancers are working exclusively online. So it's really easy to collect too much junk um, on your computer and to get distracted by all that junk. So that's been a one of the things that people have been enjoying. One thing that you mentioned is I would like to talk about the digital aspect of it because you're now in Mozambique and mm -hmm. you don't have any clients there, I guess. No, they're all and in the US. So all your clients are online in the US. So what are the tools you, you use and that help you to keep you know, working for your clients abroad? Um, I need obviously a computer and a good internet connection. And that's not a problem in Mozambique at all. Actually, the internet here is better than it was at our house in the US. We have uh, fiber, like the fiber cable. Um, and then I use, not currently, but I've used Skype in the past. Email, Google Docs is a huge one. Um, the regular like Microsoft Word office suite, a lot of my clients 
require us to use uh, for creating these, you know, the materials that we create. And then my clients um, all have their own, uh, like, proprietary software. So sometimes it's resources and you log in to access the resources. Sometimes you log in to kind of like input your content. So to write the actual test questions in their own system. But honestly, for me, that's it. Yeah, It's not that complicated. That was my point, actually, why I wanted to get there (laughs) is that, you know, we do need to like embrace technology and embrace internet and all the great tools that are out there to help us because there's still still a lot of resistance I find with using all all these tools but they're not that complicated we just need to take those few minutes to get around it like for example google docs is amazing all the things we can do with it you just have to spend a bit of time to figure it out and there's so many ways to learn you know just type your question on youtube and there's a video that explains you how to use it so um and at the end of the day once we're familiar with it it's actually not that much it just makes the life much easier and one of your fortes and the things you really promote through your blog um myadaptablecareer.com is you know the importance of work-life balance so can you take us through some tips that you have to find that work-life balance yes so many i'm trying to think where to start Uh, i think I think one of the big things is is minimizing, and I know I've already talked about that challenge I created, but um, no matter what kind of work you do, if you can do less, which sounds bad, but let me try to explain. If you can do less, you're going to feel better and you're going to do better work. So if you can send fewer emails and if you can... Um, Like if you're freelancing, take on fewer projects, but have them be bigger projects that pay more. Um, Just, yeah, like how how can you minimize your work life so that you can get more done in less time and then you've got more time for the rest of your life? I think um, also, yeah, just simplifying too, there's like a million productivity apps and tools and I don't know that any of them are helpful. I use a planner and I use a pen and paper and those are the only tools I use to help me be productive. So I think, um, you know, try not to get sucked into whatever's trending, Mm -hmm. just try to simplify. And then I think also you need to, no matter what you do, you need to listen to yourself and, and take care of yourself. Like no one else is going to watch out for you. And so it's important to, prioritize your own needs. I think um, the women I've talked to especially have a hard time with that. They're always putting someone else before themselves. Um, And then that that makes everything miserable. You get burnt out at work and home is no longer a place where you can relax. So got to take care of yourself. Yeah, that's a very good point. Home should stay a place where we can relax and freelancers work from home. So it's very important to build those barriers of times for work and time for family. And I think you said two two or three key words that I've heard that I think I would really like to highlight is when you talked about simplifying, planning, and prioritizing. And I think those are the key words that we have to think of when we decide to become a freelance is to simplify our processes, think of planning our time when we're working, where we're not. It should not overlap. And the third thing is to prioritize what is the most important. And like you said, what is going to bring the most money right away you know sometimes we do make have to make that choice and do less but bring more 
right? Yeah. Yep. Those are great words for it. And I think boundaries too, Yeah. as you've said, when you're working from home, um, you know, it's hard, like, should I go fold the laundry or should I finish, you know, writing something for a client? It's, it's hard and you need to figure out how you're going to set those boundaries. So for me, having a dedicated office is really important because then the rest of my house is like my soothing, relaxing place. And my office is where I'm like fired up getting things done. And also for me, um, my daughter's almost three, sending her to preschool. So I think people think that I'm like a stay-at-home mom who sometimes does work, but I don't consider myself that. Um, I, you know, I send my daughter to preschool. She's out of the house. That's my time to focus exclusively on work. I'm not trying to take care of her at the same time. So for me, those boundaries are important. And, you know, you've got to figure out what your boundaries are important. Very good point. Very good point. Does it bother you at all that people might think that you're not working and you're sending your daughter to kindergarten? No, <laughs> I think in the past it would have, but I, one of my favorite things about getting older is that I just don't care as much. You know? <laughs> That's good. It's funny. I just had an interview with another mom who was saying exactly the same thing, you know, that uh, there's so much judgment sometimes on mothers who we think stay at home. And even those who stay at home, they have things to do, you know, but it's it's quite interesting. But I guess, yeah, the secret is to not care, like you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, if I weren't working, I'd send her to preschool too. Because, like you said, you just need a break. Like two-year-olds are the real deal. You need a break. Come on, <laughs> definitely. Is there any before we say goodbye? Is there one thing you would like to share that you think we didn't cover yet together? Oh, I think we've covered just about everything. Let me. Hmm. What would be your advice? You know, to build a successful freelance business. What's for you the one secret to be successful at being a freelance? you need to commit. So you can't, you're not going to be successful if you're just kind of dabbling and you're like trying it because it's too, it's hard. Like getting started especially is hard. So you need to kind of jump in with both feet and really commit. Um, and then, and then you're going to find success. Fantastic. Thank That's you so much, Emily. And tell us, how can we find you? Um, I would love to connect with people on my website, which is myadaptablecareer.com. And you can email me through there, um, check out some blog posts and find that challenge that I mentioned there too. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Emily. This was so, so useful. And you brought up so many great insights here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great chatting with you. Nomad Nation, I hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And uh, if you did, please um, share your feedback and your comment in the webpage of this episode. And uh, also do not hesitate to share it with your friends who might be inspired and have some ideas to start their own freelancing business. I'm very much looking forward to meet with you at the next episode where I will continue to share with you great tips to turn your challenges into great opportunities.